The creation versus evolution argument is not about faith versus science. Neither can be proven or falsified by the scientific method. And in fact, both sides are looking at the same forensic evidence. The real question then is, which view is accurate? We're the Missouri Association for Creation. Welcome to our podcast. Well, the Missouri Association for Creation has been doing zoo tours twice a year since the fall of 2012. The goal of these tours is to teach Christian families about the incredible complexity of the featured animals and how God designed each one specifically for their environment. The director of the Mac Zoo Tour is Scott Jarris, who is here with me. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Marv. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Not a problem. So why is the tour important for Christian families? Well, it kind of comes down to a biblical worldview. It is in Romans 1.20. It speaks of, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that men are without excuse. So, and these animals are so incredible. Aren't they, though? Yeah. As we walk through this, we're all in shock <laughs> as we're studying these things. It's just like, wow. But it is a display of his invisible attributes. And so this is something where when we go to the zoo, and you know, I, I refer to it as God's art museum. Right. And, and it is. It is. And it's where he displays his creativity, his wisdom, his power, his compassion honestly and which it, can be clearly seen which can be clearly seen and yeah and and that verse there i think the other thing that's interesting about that verse is is not only does it say you can't be an atheist because you can't say i don't know that god exists but not only do you know god exists you know what he's like because of what he's made right. and he's displayed himself in these animals and that's exactly what we see when we go through them and so Ultimately, it takes the zoo, instead of pointing to the animals, it points them to God. And right. that's what the folks in our that come to our tours really, really like. So how exactly did this tour get started? It's been going on since the fall of 2012. Right. How did it get started? Yeah. So uh, in the year 2000, my family, we went on a Answers in Genesis family camp out in Colorado. And when we were out there... We went on a tour of a natural history museum with some people, and uh, they did it from a biblical worldview. And they also did zoo tours, and I looked at that, and I was just like, well, we could do that in St. Louis. I mean, we got a free zoo. It's a great free zoo, and that would be an awesome thing for us to do here. And so I came back, and if you remember, I think I talked to you about that not too long after that trip. But uh, it took until 2012 until it got kicked off. Well, that was after we got our Speakers Bureau going at MAC. And so we had people that could lead the tours and research the animals and, and give the presentation. So how exactly does it, does it work? Like if I'm somebody who comes to the zoo as part of the tour, first of all, they have to register. They can't just show up. Correct. So they have to go to our website or they can send you an email and register for the tour. But after you get to the zoo, how does this work? Yeah. So the way we, we have it uh, set up is is that we've got seven speakers speaking at seven different animals. They give 10-minute talks on, the, like you're talking about, the design features of these, of these animals. And uh, there's also a booklet that we give the families to, mm -hmm. that have fill-in-the-blanks and other information on, on the animals that they can follow along with. 
And so, yeah, so they go through that and uh, it's about an hour and a half to two hours of us going through these different animals and really pointing out these features that really just display God. Depending on how long-winded some of the speakers get, right? Hey, no, let's, let's, <laughs> let's not get personal. <laughs> so when do these tours take place? Right now, we schedule them in the last week in September, and then again in the last week in April, the following year. And they're on a Monday and Tuesday. Normally. Normally, yeah. that's what we're doing is okay. we're doing on a Monday and Tuesday is what we do. The spring tour is a repeat of the fall tour, mm-hmm. uh, as it is. And there are actually three tours that we rotate through. So it's not the same seven animals every year. So that's okay. that's something that we do. So we rotate through three different tours that uh, cover several animals. So it doesn't repeat until like fourth year out. Okay. So do you ever do like special tours for smaller groups? Say I've got a church group and we've got 70 kids in our youth group and some of the families want to go. And I know that uh, sometimes our our groups are pretty crowded. <laughs> yes, yeah, we we have we have fully booked. Uh, we get fully booked on our homeschool. Right. Groups, yeah. So so somebody they have a school and they missed yeah. out. They didn't get their reservation in time, and they say, "Hey, we've got maybe 70, 80 people, or maybe it's twenty or thirty people." Right. Would you do a special tour for us? Is that something that would be available? Yeah, absolutely. So that is something that we have done. I mean, we just did uh, something for uh, a uh, Christian high school that was in. Uh, Columbia, Missouri. Uh, they were coming out in July this past year, and me and another uh, one of our speakers, we addressed that with them and, and met up with them. I think they had like 30 people, mm-hmm. basically, and we walked them through in two different groups and took turns back and forth. So we would do that as well for if you've got a youth group or like you're talking about a Christian high school or something like that or, or elementary school, and then we can uh, kind of tailor it to that as well. So we keep talking about these animals, right? and how amazing they are. Give me some examples of what, like, some of the amazing design you see in the animal kingdom. One thing that, you know, and we talk about uh, these things that really are like, how could this evolve, right? How could this happen? And I really think, like, one of the greatest examples of that is just in the butterfly. When you talk about a butterfly, you know, being a caterpillar, it's got the DNA for this caterpillar, right? Mm-hmm. And then yet what it does is it then goes into the chrysalis or the pupa, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it totally decomposes and breaks down and then reassembles itself into this butterfly that is totally different, right? Right. <laughs> Total different locomotion, right? You know, all of a sudden it's flying instead of crawling. Instead of eating leaves, it's drinking nectar. And it's like, this is a totally different thing. I've got to have the DNA for both of those creatures in this same animal. And wow. I mean, they're not even closely related. You look at those right. two and say, no, that's not the same thing. And it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, incredible. How would you ever have the DNA for both of those? Because if you don't have the DNA perfect for the butterfly, it's the butterfly that lays the egg for the caterpillar. Right. So how are you ever going to make that, close that loop? And then is it the monarch that migrates 
Yes, right. So the monarch, it migrates like it's uh, a sixth or seventh generation, you know, all of a sudden it takes and flies back down to Mexico and uh, goes back to uh, its location where it was there with its great, 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 great grandfather was originally there and it flies back to that same area. Yeah, it's yeah. completely amazing. How does it know to do <laughs> yeah. that? It's, it How not only it has to have a GPS or a compass, but also <laughs> it needs to have a map, right? You know? Yeah, there, there are so many. I mean, I've some of the animals I've taught at the zoo, I've taught about the giraffe and I've taught about uh, the penguin mm-hmm. and uh, the North American river otter. Astounding. It, well, you know, just real briefly, the river otter, and I don't know how they count this, but all the uh, zoologists seem to agree that a North American river otter has 400,000 hairs per square inch. Now, I'm glad I'm not the guy that counted them. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how they estimate that. But the amazing thing about it is that hair is so thick and it's waterproof. Mm-hmm. So these river otters that live like uh, maybe in Michigan or up in Canada and their primary food source is fish, the pond freezes over, they can get under that ice. Yeah. And that freezing cold water never gets through to their skin to make them cold, and they can stay under there for eight minutes at a time, you know, to get fish, which is their primary food source. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, so, I, sh- I shiver to think about that. Yeah. Right? I mean, try to put your hand into a, a, a glass of ice water and, and try to hold it there for eight minutes, right? Yeah. Oh, my. I hadn't even thought about that. But <laughs> So what would you say is the number one takeaway from folks who attend the tour? Yeah, well, so that was like one of the things that uh, from a recent tour as well, we, uh, I remember talking with one of the dads there and he says, you know, we, we come to the zoo so often and, and he says, I really love the way that you guys point this all to God. And ultimately, the big takeaway that we want is for people to walk away and say, you know, the zoo's not about the animals. The zoo's about the creator of those animals. Absolutely. And that's really where we uh, wanted them to leave. I also had uh, some people who come away with those things that, like you talk about with the giraffe, where they look at it and they go, look at these special designs and that things could have never evolved. How could have that ever happened? And uh, it just demolishes on the evolution side. And yet, on the other side, you know how it is, is that it really elevates God. Well, you know, I have to, because the giraffe is one of the animals I teach at yep, the zoo. I know. Let me just take a minute sure. and tell folks about the giraffe, and then we'll get back to the question. People don't think about it, but no. the, the giraffe's neck is six feet long. So the giraffe's heart has to pound like a jackhammer. In fact, the giraffe's heart is 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. It has to pound like a jackhammer because it's got to pump blood straight uphill six feet to the giraffe's brain. So in order to get oxygen to the brain, the giraffe's heart beats 125 times a minute. And it pounds, like I said, like a jackhammer. So now... Yeah, they have the highest blood pressure of any animal. That's correct. Blood (laughs) pressure would kill... Well, it would kill the giraffe except for the special design, (laughs) right? right? So the giraffe gets thirsty and he bends his head down. First of all, he spreads his legs as wide as he can when he drinks. Because they're so long. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, the idea is he's trying to get his heart as close to the ground as he can. Mm -hmm. But when he lowers his head to get a drink, now that blood, instead of being pumped uphill, it's being pumped downhill. So the blood's headed like a bullet for his brain. It's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. There's just no way. So he spreads his legs as far apart as he can. He drops his head to get a drink, but he don't die. The blood pressure don't kill him. Right. Because in the blood vessels in his neck are valves that shut down the flow of blood 
to his brain. And you say, well, wait, wait a minute, that can't be good, right? Except the very last spurt of blood, which is headed for his brain like a bullet and is going to kill him, actually is absorbed by, it's like a sponge that sits under the giraffe's brain, and it absorbs the impact of that. And then while he's getting a drink, the blood that's in that sponge is circulating in his brain to provide oxygen to his brain. Right. So now he's getting a drink. He looks out of the corner of his eye. He sees a lion coming. He says, I don't want to be lunch. He stands up to run away. Well, what would happen to us if we were all bent over like that for a minute or so and we stood up real fast? What would happen? Yeah. Well, in his case, we'd, of course, we'd get dizzy or yeah, pass that's out. That's a 12-foot elevation Lion, <laughs> Yeah. Lion eats us. It's all over. Yeah. But in this case, what happens is when he raises his head, those valves open back up and mm-hmm. everything resumes as normal. Mm-hmm. Giraffe can gallop at 35 miles per hour. So what, what I ask the kids then on the zoo tour is I'll say, what if the giraffe had the heart, that 25-pound pounding heart, but he didn't have the long neck? Could he survive? And obviously the answer is no. Yeah, it's too much pressure. Right. So what if he had the neck but not the heart? Could he survive? No. Yeah. Well, what if he had both of those but he didn't have the valves in his blood vessels? Could he survive? And the yeah. kids say no. Right. What if he had all three of those, but he didn't have the sponge under his brain? Could he make it? And the kids say no. And I say, so if evolution is true, then all four of those things would have had to evolve at the exact same time, or we wouldn't have any giraffes today. It's a system, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So bottom line is what makes more sense, that over millions of years' time, all of those things evolved randomly at the exact same time are that we have an awesome creator God who created that magnificent animal to show his glory and for us to study and learn about and see our creator in the things that he's made. Right. And we stand in awe of that because we look at that as well and we know that God in his wisdom, it wasn't like he created the giraffe and then looked at it and said, oh, I wish I would have done this, <laughs> right? Like we do, right? When yeah, we right. design something, you know, right. and we build something, it's just like, well, how many prototypes do we have? There were no prototypes for the giraffe. Right. And he built it and it was perfect. Right. And it went on and he built the next one, you know? And so it's just astounding. It's overwhelming to think about that and the wisdom that's in that. Well, so I got us off track there, so let's go back to the original question, (laughs) which was, what would you say is the number one takeaway that people give you after they've been on our zoo tour? Yeah. So one of the uh, responses I got out of my last, uh, the last one that I thought was so awesome here was uh, they thanked us for the wonderful morning at the zoo. And it says, we've been to the zoo many times, but this was our best visit yet. From now on, we will look at things in a different and more beautiful way, thanks to you all. And so that's really what it comes down to is that, like I said, you don't look at the zoo like it's for the animals. You look at the zoo like this is a display of God's creation, and it just brings him glory when you really understand these things. When is the next zoo tour then? You said it's the last weekend in... April, April, right? It would be April April 24th and 25th is what we're talking about. And certainly anybody can go on to our website there at mocreation.org and look under events and find that 
there. So they can find out there how they can register for the tour and... Yep, they can find out there, and I think there's even a link there. But uh, obviously, as well, if you want to have questions about the tour or want to set up a special, if somebody wants to set up a special group to come, they can email me at maczootour at gmail.com. M-A-C-Z-O-O-T-O-U-R, all one word. Uh, you win the spelling bee. Congratulations. At gmail.com. Right. <laughs> so just a... Uh, in closing here, is there any cost for someone to go on the tour? Oh, good question. No, there's. Uh, we don't have any cost for that. We do ask for people uh, and suggest a donation to the to MAC for it. Um, normally, it's uh, you know a dollar a person or five dollars a family, but it's and that kind of covers a our cost of printing the books and yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. so again, they can contact you at MaxZooTour at gmail.com, or they can go through our website at mocreation.org to contact you to make reservations, correct? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close? Well, I think it's just we are so excited to be able to to do this, and you know how it's been, Marv. Um, We've, as speakers, we all... We go into it like you did with the river otter, thinking, okay, maybe I'll find something interesting about this. And and everything was interesting <laughs> about it. Yeah. And we come away with a 45-minute talk that we have to uh, somehow condense into, <laughs> into, into 10 minutes. That's true. If we can and all. And that is, once again, a statement regarding how marvelous and awesome creator we have. Well, I can truly tell you, when we study these animals, you at some point just have to stop and praise God. You do. Absolutely. And he's worthy of it, isn't he He, not? (laughs) He is uh, extremely worthy. (laughs) Amen. So thank you all for joining us. If you have any questions or comments, feedback, et cetera, for us here at the podcast, send them to podcast at missouricreation.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on whatever platform you choose to listen to. You can find all our episodes and subscription options at our website mocreation.org slash podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm Marv Schaefer. This has been the Missouri Association for Creation podcast. I want to leave you with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See you next time.